electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And thanks a lot, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland, in for Scott Wapner. Stocks plunging after coming off another losing week. The debate about a recession, it heats up this week. The big question, what is priced into this market and how do you protect your portfolio in the second half? We will debate that and much, much more with our investment committee today. Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And joining me very shortly right here on set, Josh Brown. But first, let's begin with a check of the sell-off at this hour. A lot of red here on this screen. We're seeing the Dow down almost 2%. The S&P down a percent and a half. The Nasdaq down uh, just about a half a percent right now. And if you're looking at some bellwethers, a lot of big-name stocks, they're down. If you're worried about recession, we're seeing J.P. Morgan down about 2%. Delta down 2%. Ford down 4% after some disappointing sales numbers. Of course, we're looking at the 10-year yield. Right now, we're seeing it at 2.789, just below 2.8. That's about 70 basis points lower than it was just a month ago. Also, oil prices falling. Oil WTI down almost 8%, more than 7.5% right now. And one of the big stories today, the euro and the dollar. We're seeing parity with the euro and the dollar, that rising dollar creating some other concerns globally uh, as prices rise. We now want to turn to the investing committee. Joe, I'm going to come over to you. Now, that rising dollar, the parity right there with the euro, it might be great for your trip to Ibiza later this year. But it's making a lot of people concerned about recession in Europe and maybe another (laughs) sign of recession here in the U.S. What are you looking at? So much recession talk. Well, I think the calendar has turned here into the month of July and the market is now not pricing based on inflation. The market is now pricing based on an expected recession. And Frank, I think that's clearly obvious. Um, We'll talk about the strategy here in a little bit because there's some good signs with what we're seeing. But specifically towards commodity, you have in commodities disinflationary pricing, the price of oil below $100, copper down 4% at a 17-month low. It expands beyond that. It's lumber, it's agriculture, it's soft commodities. So the commodity story is a weak one. And then in addition to that, When you're looking at the Treasury market, people continue to try and identify yield curve inversion that correlates with an impending recession. Historically, if you go back to 2000, 2007 and 2019, it was an inversion in the two year to the five year, which was able to predict for markets a recession that was to follow. And we've got in each of those instances when the two to five was flashing inversion, you had that recession that followed. Well, guess what, Frank? Today you had the inversion in the two to five year for the very first time. I think it's obvious to us that the recession conversation shouldn't be about one in 2023. It should be about one in 2022. And in fact, if we're not technically in one right now. All right. Just a note, uh, Joe did not confirm or deny his trip to Ibiza. John, I saw you give the thumbs up. Um, 
Are you concerned about a recession? Are you seeing data points that are leading you to believe a recession is on the way? Obviously, we're seeing a lot of notes about recession, no recession, people lowering their S&P price target. What are you seeing right now? Um, absolutely, Frank. And I have said for weeks, I thought it was 70-30 that we're um, in a recession right now. Right now, we're in a recession, I believe. Um, Europe is basically, you know, the lights are flashing in Europe, Frank, that we are in a recession in Europe. Um, I think it's likely we are in one here. Um, to Joe's point, though, I'm not all gloom and doom. Um, there are possibilities out there that the Fed will not continue to just slam interest rates higher. Now, they misjudged inflation, and we could talk about that ad nauseum. There'll could. be textbooks written about it. And not, ju not just the Fed, of course, Congress and the president. But um, it is what it is. You've got to trade the market that you've got. Um, if we indeed do not um, tip too hard into that recession, it could be a light recession. Um, and that's what the 10-year is telling you, Frank. But clearly, Europe and uh, the commodities that Joe cited, crude oil, nat gas, they are all telling you the demand is going to be down because of a recession. Um, like I say, I say 70-30 and the odds have moved up. Maybe it's 80-20 that we're already yes. in that recession, Frank. And hopefully the Fed reading those tea leaves is going to be backing off on 75 basis point jumps forever. Um, if they don't, then it'll be a hard recession, Frank. So, Brent, over to you. Uh, John seeing some flashing lights. A lot of people seeing that dollar-euro parity is one of those flashing lights. Falling oil prices, perhaps, is another flashing light. What are you seeing? What are you looking at today, especially when we look at the market? Well, I think between the 10-year coming down, you know, June 14th, it was 349, coming down to, to, to 280 so quickly. And then the Atlanta Fed, their GDP now cast came out last week. It was negative one. And then it came out the next day because there was another reading. They're looking for Q2 GDP at negative 2%. So if that actually came to fruition, that would be a technical recession. I do think, though, that investors need to understand that not all recessions are created equal, even remotely. There's nothing in common between the 2007 to 2009 recession and then the really shallow recession we had in the very early 90s. And so I think that the Fed, if they're looking at what the Atlanta, GDP, the Atlanta Fed is looking at, I think that they'll definitely, maybe they'll continue to jawbone the market about they're going to be on inflation. But I think after this next Fed meeting, I really think the narrative is going to switch that they're potentially going to be pausing. Because to John's point, Europe is definitely, if, someone, if some country is going to go into a recession, it's going to be Europe just because they have no leverage to pull when it comes to fossil fuels and natural gas. We do here in the U.S. And so I definitely will continue to watch what the Atlanta Fed said. All of the readings are coming out lighter, but I do think though this month, we will have much more clarity at the end of this month than today, because not only do we have earnings season happen in a couple weeks, Biden's going to the Middle East on the 13th. We're going to get another probably Fed rate hike. But I do think this earnings seasons over the next month is going to be really important and will give the market much more clarity about where corporate, you know, the CEOs and CFOs are projecting for their own balance sheets. Yeah, very telling earnings season coming up, especially at the end of this month. A lot of big name stocks, Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, uh, ABC.
maybe InBev giving us a lot of insight to the consumer. I want to point to actually a note. Speaking of clarity, Brent, I think that's a great word. A lot of analysts putting out different notes. I want to go to Credit Suisse's Jonathan Golub. Um, he actually cut his price target for the S&P uh, down to 4,300, about a 14% rise from the levels we see now. And he said this, recessions are most accurately characterized by a meltdown in employment accompanied by an inability of consumers and businesses to meet their financial obligations. While we are currently experiencing a meaningful slowdown in economic growth, he, he notes from extremely high levels, neither of the above conditions are present today. And I'm now joined by Josh Brown. I want to toss this over to you, Josh. Agree or disagree with uh, Jonathan Gallup? It's semantics. The only two arguments going on right now are, uh, A, is the recession this year or 2023? Not particularly important for investors. And B, is it a severe recession or is it a shallow recession or is it not a recession at all, but just a growth slow? These don't really matter. What actually matters is what ends up happening with your portfolio. And the reality is we've had recessions where the Fed was very aggressively fighting inflation. And those recessions have not been terrible for, for your stock portfolio. And a lot of the reason for why statistically that's the case is because markets do the hard work on the way in to the recession. Let's look at the last two times we had a recession during that process of the Fed fighting very aggressively. The first version of that is January 1980 to July 1980. Short, shallow recession. Stocks actually went up 14% during that recession and another 12% over the following year. The next year, again, statistical recession, July 81 into uh, November of 82. So it lasted a little bit longer. Stocks did fine, 14.66% during, 25% a year after they said the recession ended. So you can make money with your portfolio, whether or not the recession is now, it's next quarter, it's next year. It, it, that's not what you need to focus on. What you need to focus on is when do I need the money? What type of returns are typical? when stocks have already fallen, and can I deal with the headlines and the volatility long enough to receive those returns? This is what, uh, this is what people really need to be concerned with. And the good news is you've got a huge pullback in the stock market multiple that you were paying just as recently as January, and bonds at today's level are going to be competitive uh, with, with cash and hopefully soon with inflation. You can now earn at the top tax bracket, something like 5.5% taxable equivalent in a portfolio of national beauty bonds right now. That was not an option even six months ago. So there's a lot more you could do with the portfolio today that makes sense than even six months ago, nine months ago. And that is the good news, regardless of when they want to give you that official recession announcement. All right. A lot to, uh, lot to digest there, Josh. Uh, now we want to bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman, looking at all the data on deck. Hey there, Steve. Hey, Frank, yeah, sounds like everybody had burned hamburgers at the beach. Um, but the debate over recession or just slower growth, well, it's going to get hotter this week with a series of reports that should shed light on the current state of the economy. And it all ends on Friday with the big jobs report. So take a look. The ISM services comes out and we'll see if we did have a little bit of weakness in manufacturing. Did it come over into the service sector with better growth there? The JOLT survey should show still millions of job openings. Fed minutes. We'll get maybe more insight on the 75 basis point surprise increase. Jobless claims I'll talk about in a second and the jobs report coming up Thursday and Friday. Now, claims are among a recession's earliest uh, indicators as they tend to rise ahead of time. Payrolls weakening the unemployment rate increases around the time recessions begin. It's in part because the National Bureau of Economic Research goes back 
uses those two to determine when the recession began in the first place. Dow Jones Survey of Economists looks for 250,000, fairly steep downward adjustment for June. That's about half the average for the first half of the year. But the number is, well, would still be pretty strong for normal times here. And uh, moving on, one other thing, we're going to see some uh, noise probably in the jobs data. The normal hiring and firing of education workers in the summer and fall has been distorted by the pandemic. Looks like thousands of foreigners indeed have been able to get visas to come to work, take the summer jobs in the U.S. That's unlike last year. And this is really the source of the recession versus slowdown tension, an economy that is still normalizing from the pandemic. And that's good stuff, but still reeling from high inflation. So, um, Frank, there's two sides to this story, I think. Yeah, Steve Leisman, I know you're going to be watching all the latest developments, especially those Fed minutes they were expecting this week. Steve Leisman, thank you. All right, so the big question today, what is exactly priced into this market? Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli taking a deep dive into that part of the debate for us. Hey, Mike. Yeah, hey, Frank. Uh, obviously, this is not a precision exercise, but it's fair to say that something like a steep slowdown uh, in corporate earnings and probably uh, a, a sort of disappointment on the level of corporate earnings uh, versus forecast is getting priced in. Take a look at the cyclical sectors of the market over the last eight months, let's say consumer discretionary as well as the banks, compared to more stable defensive types, healthcare and consumer uh, uh, staples. Uh, you see right here, you've already seen massive underperformance of the cyclical. So that's the market telling you we kind of get it. This has been the mode for eight months right now that we've been pricing something like this in. I would argue that it looks a little more like the growth scares of, let's say, late 2018, early 2016, 2011, than it does an outright recession. So there's no way of saying the market's already figured this out, that we're going to have a steep retrenchment in profitability of companies, which is really what matters uh, for the markets, as well as really what the, the message of the credit markets is right now, which is similar, which is it's starting to sort of say risk spreads are getting out. We're having to raise our estimates of default risk in corporate credit, but it's not yet to levels that has preceded an outright uh, economic recession. Again, I agree that there's a lot of uh, play in these definitions, a lot of semantics. Usually it's retroactively defined whether you were in a recession. I think one point Steve made is very crucial, which is this has been an unusually compressed cycle. Every time in 2020 and 2021, we said we've never seen a comeback this strong. We've never seen the ISM manufacturing stay up at these levels. All these things that were superlatives at the time are now we're not kind of dealing with comparisons to that. I think that's one kind of complicating factor in deciding if the historical patterns for how this stuff gets priced in advance are going to apply here. Hey, Mike, really quick. Um, obviously, a very quiet earnings uh, calendar this week. I think it's only WD-40 and maybe Levi's later on in the week. But later in the month, last week of July, we got some big ones. We got Alphabet. We have Microsoft, AB InBev, if you want to uh, get a sense of the consumer, uh, Ford as well. What should people be, look, people be looking at in these earnings reports as an indicator that the slowdown is priced in or not priced in? Well, I mean, obviously, we're looking at how the stocks trade relative to what comes in. I think that's the most important message uh, in terms of determining whether uh, stocks have been a leading indicator in this regard. Amazon's numbers have been absolutely slashed. It's one of the huge reasons that you've seen consumer discretionary estimates really collapse. Uh, so that's something that seems kind of already baked to some degree. Uh, something like Ford, they've held up a little bit better. 
Uh, but what I'd be interested in is if you see something similar to what's gone on with Micron over the last week, that stock's more or less recovered the decline on a really bad revenue guidance shortfall. Now, you can't say that that somehow is the verdict on whether the market's figured this out or not, but it's the kind of thing you want to be alert for in the coming weeks to see uh, if, in fact, uh, the analysts are the lagging indicator here as opposed to the stocks. Uh, Mike Santoli, thank you very much. Uh, John, I want to turn things over to you. Um, what are you seeing right now? Do you believe that a slowdown, possible recession, whether it's mild or severe, is already priced in, or are people still trying to figure that all out? Um, I'd say it's about 75% pay- priced in, uh, Frank. And one of the reasons for that is what levels are people scrambling to buy protection in the S&P 500 or in the uh, Russell 2000 or the QQQs. Most of those, Frank, they're about 5% out of the money, Um, meaning that today with the index at, say, 374-ish for the SPY, they're buying at the 358 strike, for instance, in August. Um, That's not the same as we were seeing weeks ago. Weeks ago, they were buying... Uh, more like uh, uh, 7 to 12% out of the money, which implied that they thought the market could see a much bigger drop. Now they're shortening that up a little bit, Frank, so that's the good news. And hopefully that is because they're looking at the 10-year like we all are, and they're seeing that, well, if the 10-year is back down at 382 or what, uh, 282 or whatever, rather than, as Bryn said, 349, that's a good sign. That's a sign that... They believe the bond market, which is even bigger than the stock market, believes that the Fed is going to start paring back those rate increases. And if they do that, maybe it's not a deep and a harsh uh, recession. But either way, the consumer spending has cut back dramatically in a number of areas. We've cited Target, Costco, you name it. Um, I think we will start just seeing that be soft, not an outright strike by consumers where they walk away and hoard cash. Yeah, I mean, definitely some concerns about consumer right now. S&P down a percent and a half. But one area that we're really seeing uh, bucking today's sell-off completely is high valuation growth. Kathy Wood's ARC fund, for example, higher. Names like Roblox. I'm looking at it right now. Roblox up 10% right now. Matterport and Roku up between 4 and 9%. Uh, Joe, I know you've been watching them. What's your take? Well, as I said before, uh, the market has pivoted from focusing on pricing assets correlated to inflation to now pricing assets relative to an economic contraction and the potential for a recession, which I think is a 2022 conversation. So, you know, you go back and you think about the post-World War II recessions, there's been 12 of them. And I think the focus is on not so much price being your enemy, but time being your enemy. Think about the median decline in those 12 recessions, 24%. Well, we went down peaked the trough 24.5% for the S&P on June 17th, the average length of a recession, 10 months, the longest being uh, 18 months back in 2007. And think about the multiple for the S&P. I heard Josh mention that. It contracts by a medium of 21%. So we've done that. So now if you kind of look forward, you think to yourself, all right, if time's the enemy and we've endured much of the price damage, and now we're thinking about an economic contraction, what comes back into favor again? And that's a growth strategy. And that's a quality growth strategy. And looking at where the NASDAQ is and seeing the support today from growth, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the day, you're talking about a NASDAQ that actually goes green and stays green. Because 
investors right now are now returning to prioritizing growth at a reasonable price because they're understanding you've got an environment where we're going to see a growth slowdown. All right, Brent, over to you. I mean, one point I want to bring up is that the 10-year yield, it's really fallen. It's below 3%, I believe, that right now at about 2.8%, which really helps out a lot of these high-growth stocks. Is there something else causing these to rally? Again, Roblox up 10%, DocuSign up more than 4.5%, the cloud computing ETF up over 2.5%, really bucking the trend on the market. Well, so I think you've seen this basket of names, like Zoom is one of them, Roblox, Unity, not all of them, right? And so you're starting to see some, you know, discernment between the Robloxes and the Zooms versus the Pelotons, which, you know, is is, is probably not going to recover. But this is really textbooked. I mean, you saw this when the tech bubble burst, you know, those names that went down 70 to 80 percent and then survived actually outperformed in that second year. They outperformed financials and value names. So, So I do think if you go back and look at history that's somewhat um, expected and what, what's interesting like on a, on a zoom you know zoom hit I think 85 a while back and like zoom and Roblox it keeps making higher lows and so I think that's a really healthy sign to see these companies that have gone down 70 to 80 percent just kind of quietly qu- creeping higher today is definitely not a creep it's a jump when you have them up 10 and 5 percent but I think though as the narrative changes and I do think Next year, we'll be talking more about rate cuts than rate hikes. The companies that have sustainable business models, Mm -hmm. like a Zoom, a Roblox, I think will continue to move up, have the potential to move up in price and like some of the ARC names or ARC itself will catch a bid versus what I think, you know, investors need to know, you know, right now, consumer staples, which has been a really popular place to hide, hide out. It's very textbook when you're going into a late stage of recession, consumer staples trade at a higher PE than tech right now. And so I think that you're starting to see this rotation and you see consumer staples are down. Whereas we're talking about right now, tech is actually doing, having a, a pretty good day net net. And John, over to you. You're actually buying Roblox calls. Is this on the strength of the, the falling 10-year yield? Do you think these stocks just immediately move up, or is there some other factor? No, it's, it's not. This one, anyway, Frank, is not on that. It's, uh, there is interest, pretty strong interest, in the upside call buys uh, for this one. Um, obviously, the stock has been slaughtered. It's down uh, so dramatically that people, not just Kathy Woods, but People are saying, "Ah, I'm going to take a shot at this one. Um, I was willing to do that. I did it in the options, call options for RBLX. Um, And I'm happy to be in there right now. Um, Just like Bryn said, I think some of these stocks have been battered so severely that there is a hard, it's hard to imagine a much much worse scenario for them. But no, it's not based on the 10-year, not this one anyway, Frank. All right, there we go. All right, still a hit here on halftime. Josh is making some moves in this market, plus John's unusual activity trades and a number of chip stocks hitting new lows. One of our committee members is making some moves there. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And hey, welcome back to Halftime. The investment committee is making moves. Josh, right here with me at the desk, you are adding to your position. Uh, yes, this is the U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF on a total return. This is an iShares ETF. Um, on a total return basis, this thing is down about 2% on the year, which if you compare it to almost any other industry group, it looks outstanding. And I know a very big thing about people and financial advisors in general. Uh, typically, we get very excited when we see something like a Roblox up 30% off its low. But those stocks are not going to take the reins of leadership in the second half. What will actually happen is the flows will follow the performance and you will see people pile into the trades that are perceived to be the, quote, winning trades of 2022. And the pressure on financial intermediaries to appear in those trades so that their clients know that they're working with somebody intelligent only intensifies. So I, I think this space will continue to garner flows, not just the ETF, but the individual names. I think we're in a world of war, maybe permanent war in the next couple of years. You will see NATO countries individually arming up like they haven't had to do in decades. And I think that's a big secular tailwind for the companies in this aerospace and defense ETF unfortunately. All right, let's turn to another macro story. Oil dipping below $100, dropping more than 8% today. City out with a new note saying oil could drop to $60 by the end of this year. That is if a recession unfolds. Back over to you, Josh. You're actually adding to your energy position? Uh, yeah, earnings growth is going to be better here than pretty much anywhere else, almost regardless of what happens to the price of crude, at least in the short term. Uh, this is yet another example of what I was talking about. It's hard to contextualize when you see a big sell-off in oil stocks, which has prompted me to want to add more. But when we see a big sell-off in oil stocks in the very, very short term, it's hard to remember, hey, this is still the winning sector. The big trend is higher. What you're seeing right now is counter trend. The fake trend, no offense to anyone, is ARC stocks going up. That's counter trend. That's not going to, that has no legs. That's not going anywhere. It's great for people buying options that expire at the end of the week. But in reality, what's really going to happen is the big trends will continue to be the big trends until they violate some sort of longer term moving average, which they have not yet done. So look at IEO. I asked for a three year chart. Let's see if they listen to me or a five year chart. Look at IEO. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> and we look at that. We have the moving average, too. Uh, pickles on the side. OK, uh, take a look at take a look at that support level. That is a rising 200 day moving average. That's been a pretty great place to be a buyer of this IEO pretty much the entire way up. I think they'll find support right there. Today's an ugly day, but stay tuned. More horrendous stuff coming out of Eastern Europe. We all know it. Um, these are the types of stocks that will catch a bid. So this is the real trend and profitless tech rallying is the fake trend. Focus on the real trend. Bryn, over to you. You have a lot of ownership when it comes to energy. You got Devon Energy, also the XOP ETF. What do you think? You agree with Josh? Are we, are we talking fake trends versus real trends? 
well, so I think that actually energy and some of those uh, some of those high growth companies can actually both succeed depending on what rates do. But as it relates to energy, you know, I had I had sold my XLE position a few weeks ago. I think that what's important for for investors, I would actually wait before before adding to energy for a couple of weeks. You know, Biden's going to the Middle East, what I call hat in hand tour, where you know he's going to go ask the Saudis to increase production. I find it really hard to believe that he's going to go all the way over there and come back empty handed, even if it's just rhetoric. But to Josh's point about a long term, more structural trend, OPEC has missed its production mar- his production par- targets for the last two months in a row. And Saudi has missed its production co- targets for like 210,000 barrels of oil per day. So I really don't think that Saudi can meaningfully increase production. And so I think after that meeting, which is July 13th to 16th, I think there could be some continued volatility. That's actually where I'll be looking to add um, to my energy energy positions. But I would wait till that if you haven't, because I do think there could be some downside volatility just from the rhetoric that comes out of that meeting. Josh, you were getting a little animated while Brim was talking. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I'm aware of the, the hat and hand tour, but I'm also aware of the fact that almost everything Biden and his economic advisors have to say about the energy sector, the energy problem, how to fix it uh, is, is embarrassing. Uh, there's really no leadership from the White House on this issue. They live in a fantasy land where you can go on Twitter and yell at gas station owners to lower the price, not understanding that gas station owners barely make money, which is why they sell gum and tobacco uh, to get by. Like, this is not going to fix the problem. Opening up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was laughable. So I'm not really worried about that uh, being a, a headwind for the energy sector stocks. Uh, I think the market will ignore whatever uh, comes out of those meetings, just like it's ignored everything else that this White House has had to say on the issue. Josh, what do you think that quote unquote hat and hand tour going to do something for energy? Or do you believe uh, it's just down or set up for more downturns, especially with these recession concerns? Yeah, I think it's going to do more for the GOP in the midterms. They'll get some sound bites. Maybe he'll fall off a bike. It's it's just I, I feel terrible because I know he wants to help the situation. When you look at low-income Americans now spending somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of their monthly pay on uh, cooling their homes, heating their homes, or filling their tank, uh, that is rough stuff. It's a terrible situation. I just realistically don't believe that somebody can wave a wand, either party, any politician, uh, and fix the issue. Speaking the right way, though, about what's going on and what's causing it might be helpful. And we're not hearing much more about incentivizing the industry to bring on more supply. Um, I think I think that that's probably the more helpful type of rhetoric that we could get. But again, I also don't don't think it changes much on the ground anyway. Joe, over to you. I saw you raising an eyebrow. Are you putting more money into energy? Well, a couple of couple of quick thoughts. Number one, the Biden administration, if they want to help everyday Americans, they should suspend uh, the tariffs, that's, that's low-hanging fruit. That's obvious. In terms of energy, understand you don't have to nail the exam. You don't have to get every question right. The S&P 500 weighting for energy on June 30th was 4.35%. If you want to have a 6 or 7% weighting, which I've come on air and suggested, given the fundamental supply challenge that you're going to face in the winter, I have no problem with that, but I don't think you need to go beyond it. And I think the risk that investors take is that they concentrate in one direction and they have portfolios where they have 20, 25, 30 percent exposure to energy. I completely disagree with that strategy. And last point I'll make. 
to Josh's comments on hyper growth. I said earlier in the show, I think that we're talking by the end of the day about the NASDAQ going green. I want growth at a reasonable price. I agree with Josh. Valuations have come down enough that you could look at NVIDIA. You could look at Microsoft and Apple and Alphabet. You don't have to accept the PE, the non-profitable risk that comes along with a lot of these hyper-growth stocks. There's an L that's placed next to those stocks, uh, and I wouldn't be allocating on those fake trend or whatever he called it. I agree with that. All right, as we're having this conversation, WTI down 8%, half a dollar below $100 a barrel. All right, let's get over to the headlines with Christina Parts and Evelis. Hey, Christina. Hello, Frank. In Highland Park, Illinois, police have begun a news conference right now. The 21-year-old man taken into custody last night is still being called a person of interest in the shooting deaths of six people during a 4th of July parade in the Chicago suburb. Police say he fired 70 rounds into the crowd and was dressed as a woman to facilitate his escape. They also say they believed he acted alone. A senior law enforcement official tells NBC News the man bought multiple weapons legally before the attack. Russia's parliament has taken its first step towards passing two laws that will require businesses in the country to provide goods and services to the military to support the country's continuing fight in Ukraine. The vote was unanimous. And a White House ceremony that concluded just minutes ago, President Biden said he's setting the record straight by upgrading the awards of four soldiers who performed what he called acts of incredible heroism while fighting in Vietnam. They are receiving the Medal of Honor, the country's highest recognition of battlefield bravery. One of the recipients is getting the award posthumously. Halftime Report returns right after this break. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Semis are coming off their worst week since January, and just a slew of chip stocks hitting new lows today. John, over to you. You just bought some Micron calls. Yeah, um, and the reason, Frank, is, yes, this is one of those stocks that's half off. I mean, literally, it was $98. Um, It traded down into the very low 50s, and then they started buying upside calls. Some of those calls, Frank, are the deep end of the pool sort of situations where it's options that expire this week. Others were options that expire out in August and September. Either way, the uh, institutional interest after all of these downgrades, because there were targets, Frank, that were up there around $120 a share that have been right-sized back down into the 80s. Some of the people that were already at 80s right-sized them down to the 60s. I think you get some movement out of a sector like this um, after all of those downgrades and after they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And I think you could see 
um, some upgrades in the coming quarters. I'm not saying that happens this week or next week, but I think that Micron beating on uh, top line and bottom line this last uh, earnings report, um, it's a question of how do the data centers do going forward. And they said demand continued to be strong for data centers. And that's one of the reasons that I'm uh, optimistic about Micron here, Frank. Josh, over to you, you own NVIDIA. Any concerns about demand going forward for either the rest of 22 or going forward in 23? Yes, but I'm a long-term investor, and I understand that not every year is going to be the best year ever. So I've been in the stock for, for a long time. There have been some huge drawdowns. There have been some awful quarters. There have been, I don't know, a few hundred analyst downgrades. You have to make a decision with high tech uh, and a company like this. Am I trading it because I think I have some edge on the next 10 points? Or um, am I paying attention to the company's product roadmap, um, its customer wins, its strategy for the next 10 or 15 years and making a bet based on that? So I'm doing the latter and uh, therefore not paying a ton of attention uh, to short term weakness in the chip sector. Yeah, SMH ETF down a percent right now. Brent, any quick thoughts? Yeah, I agree, I agree with Josh. I mean, I think with I own NVIDIA and specifically, obviously, the multiple um, has been cut in half along with the stock. But NVIDIA is at really the intersection of so many important technologies that are going to be growing over the next five and 10 years. And so I just continue to think in my portfolio, it's one of the bellwether stocks that I think will grow. But if tech keeps selling off and you continue to have supply chains and chip issues, NVIDIA will fall victim to that. But long term, it's a it's such an important company in, in the whole technology space. So I'm, I'm like Josh, I'm the long term owner of it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll buy more of it if it gets too much cheaper than here. Yeah, something to certainly keep an eye on the uh, valuations of those chip stocks. All right, as we head to break, take a look at the major averages. BIT, BTIG's Jonathan Krinsky, he joins us next. Halftime It's going to be back right after this break. All right, welcome back to Half. Let's get a check on the market as the markets continue to wrestle with inflation and recession concerns. Right now, the Dow down over one and a half percent, almost 550 points. The S&P down almost a percent and a half as well. The Nasdaq, however, making a bit of a turn, turning into the green, just fractionally higher right now. We want to bring another voice into this market discussion. Joining us now is BTIG chief market technician Jonathan Krinsky. Jonathan, I hope you had a great Fourth of July. Uh, you got a little bit less conviction about the third quarter, just about two days in, though. Well, the, yeah, the, the call coming into the end of the quarter and, and maybe it was two consensus was that we would see a little bit of a, a reversion higher, a little bit of a rebalance um, and see some strength in the end of the quarter. And then ultimately in the third quarter, um, we were looking for a move to sub 3,500. So, you know, our call now is less conviction on that rally into 4,000 or 4,100. But if we get that, we would really view that as, you know, a strategic opportunity to reduce risk because ultimately we still feel like uh, you know, we're heading sub 3,500 in the S&P later this quarter. Josh, over to you. Hey, John, I wanted to ask you about uh, I wanted to ask you about the sector race at the moment. Um, I was very surprised that healthcare wasn't doing better considering the overall defensive tone to the market and the outperformance by staples and, and uh, utilities. What do you make of what's happening with the XL, XLV and if you're an investor with a more defensive-minded posture, um, wouldn't that be a space that might make sense to start look at, looking at uh, technically? Because it is outperforming, but it's just not quite at the, at the lead of the pack yet. 
Yeah, I mean, first we'd say healthcare is very bifurcated, right? You have the defensive large cap names that are dominate the XLV; those have held up well, um, and then you have the biotech space, which is trading, you know, lockstep with the ARC names and, and long duration assets. And so, you know, up until a few weeks ago, it was you know healthcare, large cap healthcare had held it very well. Biotech had gotten destroyed, and now we're seeing a bit of a reversion there. So we think in the near term, there's a bit more runway there where actually biotech can continue to outperform uh, defensive tech, uh, healthcare, if you will, should should lag. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, if we're going sub 3,500 in the S&P, you know, you're going to have to see names like those, like the XLV actually, actually succumb and get a bit weaker. Um, I think people have rotated in there and have, have already positioned there as a defensive play, but ultimately in, in bigger drawdowns, you see everything get hit, um, you know, and, and we just haven't really seen that quite to the extent we'd we've been looking for in XLV. All right, Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG Chief Market Technician. We appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, here on Halftime, the carnage in crypto, it continues. A lot of headlines to break down. How is the committee position? That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, welcome back to Halftime. The crypto carnage continues as crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital filed for bankruptcy late Friday night. That was news we brought to you right here on CNBC on Crypto Night in America. Now, this comes amidst other crypto lenders either laying off their employees or suspending transactions. That includes Voyager Digital. John, you own Bitcoin and Ethereum. What do you make of all these headlines? None of them sound great for crypto investors. No, they certainly have not been, Frank. Um, and that was a great special, by the way, uh, just to pat you on the back a little bit for Friday. I'll take it. I'll take um, it. I think overall, Frank, you should. Um, I think overall what we're looking at here, obviously, is a lot of, uh, I, I overuse this phrase, but babies thrown out with the bathwater. The only reason I'm really buying these two on the crypto side, Frank, is that I think they are the two strongest protocols out there, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, we talked Thursday last week about buying it on that candle, meaning the technical pattern over in Bitcoin at uh, 18.8, roughly. Um, and we did trade up over 20,000 and into the 21,000 area after that, Frank. And we're holding about 19.6 right now for Bitcoin. I expect that to continue. I think we're going to hold here. Uh, but for instance, when you saw BlockFi last week, Frank, get that uh, uh basically $25 million uh, buyout, if you will, it is not $25 million. There's as much as $250 million that could be paid to them, depending on how these things go. So I think overall, this is a sector that you want to pay attention to, not just uh, forget about it because it's had this significant correction. John, I don't know what that was, but great catch. Um, Bryn, over to you. And don't feel pressure to say what a great job I did on Crypto Night in America, but we're not going to stop you if you want to. I mean, you really did crush it. Oh, thanks. Josh, thanks. Great just, job. Yeah, you did crush it. <laughs> Bryn, I'm I just teasing that, you. But I on think a serious that, note. You know, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but you, you own you Coinbase, Grayscale, Bitcoin Trust, and Ether. Mm-hmm. Um, concern about liquidity, concern about the investability of crypto? I think that investors need to realize, and I talked about this last week, you really have three different analogs coming together at the same time in a very young sector and a young technology. You have the equivalent of the tech bubble bursting, you have the equivalent of long-term capital management, and then you potentially have some Bernie Madoff in there. And we'll see. We'll see what, we'll see what happens on the, on the last one. I think that the space is still going to be in the penalty box because I do think that 
if you listen to the experts in the space, no one's really sure if, if there's another shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just, you know, traditional when you have humans involved, especially in finance, you have greed, over leverage and poor risk management at the extremes. And that's just what's happening here. I own Coinbase and the, and the Grayscale because I do think from a technology, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum are the original and I think they will survive. And I think Coinbase as the only publicly traded exchange that you can own um, will survive as well. But I think that it's gonna take time because really there's been so much carnage in this space. And once again, we still don't know if there's gonna be another shoe to drop. Yeah, we talk a lot about Coinbase being levered to Bitcoin. Bitcoin actually down today, Coinbase up. And also a lot of questions about what it means for Sam Bankman-Fried to basically backstop the crypto industry, the crypto market, whatever you want to call it. All right, stay here on Halftime. John's latest unusual activity trades, they're coming up next. All right, it's that time again, time for unusual activity. John, what are you seeing? Frank, uh, Amazon, we have some strong, unusual activity. How strong? 15,000 calls, Frank, were trading in Amazon at the weekly 111 strike, and that's with uh, Amazon trading at about 109. So $2 out of the money. They bought 15,000. That's 1.5 million share equivalent. Big trade. So we jumped on that one. They paid between uh, 73 cents and $1.50 for those calls. So certainly a lot of leverage for that short period of time. Second trade was going to be Roblox, but you and I talked about it already. They were buying the 39 upside calls. Third one, though, is Lazar, L-A-Z-R, pronounce it Lazar or Laser, your choice. It's autonomous for, uh, they have sensors for automobiles and so forth. That's the bulk of their business. Um, they were buying 60,000 puts, in this case, Frank, at the 550 strike in this name. Even though it's down from 23 to under $6, there's a pretty big bet that maybe it goes a little lower still, Frank. That's 6 million share equivalent, 60,000 puts. So it's enough to get our attention. Absolutely, right there. All right, final trades coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, time now for final trades. Joe, by the way, good call on the NASDAQ turning green. Was fractionally higher just a few minutes ago. Yeah, let's see. Let's see where we are at the end of the day. I've owned AMD and I did own NVIDIA for quite some time. I sold NVIDIA on May 12th, went a little bit higher, now lower from where I sold it. I think what's important is putting the word quality in front of growth. And that's the case with NVIDIA. Valuation has contracted over 55 percent, now trades at about 35 times. This afternoon, if NVIDIA, which made a 52 week low this morning, is near its highs, I'm going to re-enter my position in NVIDIA. Joe, you got to give yourself more credit. Bryn, over to you. Yeah, JEPQ, um, it is a strategy that, that buys the basket of NASDAQ stocks and sells calls against those. It's run by the same team, Hamilton Reiner, that runs JEPI. And right now, with the increased volatility in the NASDAQ, the 30-day SEC yield is a little bit over 15%. So you get some growth and then some income at the same time. John? Uh, Carnival Cruise Lines. We also see Norwegian Cruise Lines buying. I bought both. 
Josh, you get the last word. Uh, Noble, these are dividend aristocrats. These are companies that uh, are in an index, and basically they've been raising their dividend every year for 25 years. It's a short list. There aren't a lot of companies on here that make the list, uh, but these are the types of stocks that I think you can get through the second half with, and you'll be fine. All right, that does it for halftime. The Exchange with Kelly Evans begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.